Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we run to you this morning. We know that you hold the promises of life. Lord, we come to you in our brokenness, knowing that we need you. We do hunger, Lord, and thirst for you. And for the ways in which we have not truly, deeply hungered for you, I pray, Lord, you would awaken that in us this morning. I pray this in your holy name. Amen. Uh, last night, Jeannie and I went to our 30th uh, class reunion. That was weird. <laughs> Man, weird for a number of reasons, but part of it is just it's 30 years, and uh, as one of the folks said, um, I, I don't remember these people. I didn't graduate with all these old people. Um, <laughs> and that you, you recognize um, the years on people's faces. That's one thing that kind of struck me is you could see a little bit. I knew just a few of the stories behind the faces that I hadn't seen too often. It's been five years since I'd seen most of them. And you could see more of how life was registering in people's visage and their countenance. Um, you could see the worry wrinkles around the eyes a little bit more. And um, you could see the weight of the world in, on the shoulders a little bit more. Um, the evidence of what they have had to live showing up on the outside. Um, maybe think about, like, how, how does, uh, is there anything that you could do maybe to uh, adjust what you register on your face? Like, how, to, how others might see you? And it seems to me that there's certain part of this, it's just part of life, right? So I'm going to get wrinkles no matter what. But what it is that I'm exuding, I think, has a lot to do with you know, what, what atmosphere I'm living in? What am I really dwelling in? What am I feeding upon? Like, you know, we, we know, we say, you know, you are what you eat, right? And I think that as Christians, we are really especially what, who, rather, we behold. You know, who are we looking to? How are we living through this life? Are we really occupied, most of all, with the darkness whether it be our own sin or somebody else's, or are we more attuned to him, to God, who's actually over all of it? Um, you know, it's, it's um, kind of a, came home to me even more this morning. I happened to just pick up a magazine that was open, and it showed a, a picture of a guy in a mugshot, and apparently this has like become, it's, this guy's name is, I think, Matthew Medlin or something like that, but it became um, a really uh, widely circulated uh, picture that showed him in a progression of mugshots over the years and how this really strong, very good-looking, classic American good-looking young man over time just degraded because of how he was living. You could see he was, became a, a meth addict, maybe a heroin addict, but it just, you could saw it registering in his face over the years. And... Uh, by the end of the article that I did end up picking up and reading, there was this note of hope, though, because it talked about him at that stage being released from prison and going into a context where he started to believe that change was possible. And I wondered what his face looked like in that moment. I wondered. As my guess is there was maybe a little bit of the spark back. And um, I guess what I want to say for us this morning is that there is an opportunity for us to have that spark back, for us to actually feel it and, and live it from 
the interior in such a way that it, it, it just exudes out of us and that the way that we look to others actually brings a blessing because of how we're looking to him, you know. We end up being a really good reflection of the one that we're beholding because we are looking up to him, because we've run to him. I think it was the psalm that said even, um, it talks about lifting uh, ourselves up to him. Let me see how it was put in the psalm. I lift up my soul. So we put our trust in him that we wouldn't be humiliated, so that we wouldn't be ashamed. We say this in our liturgy every week as we lift up our hearts to the Lord. And so um, I want to encourage us in this way by looking at the Ezekiel passage. And I want you to just constantly be asking yourself, so where, where is it that you're looking and what are you occupying yourself with and what are you beholding? Because I think when life is difficult, you can become really completely obsessed with the difficult part. And it can be really um, frustrating and that, that starts to show up in, in what you're communicating. It, it's, it certainly shows up in what you're feeling. And then if you become really occupied with it, it becomes almost a permanent um, sort of a set point, if you will, for how you're feeling all the time. If you are, if that's what you're focusing on, you know. Ezekiel, he's a prophet that um, was working in Israel at the time of their exile. So they had been taken into Babylon out of their, their wonderful promised land. And um, for many of them, it was a time of despair. Ezekiel himself probably was feeling it um, as well at the time of the beginning of his prophecy. He's about 30 years old, I believe. Um, I believe it says in the text by the 30th year, so a lot of scholars will say he was 30 years old, and he's from a priestly class. So that would have meant if he had been in Israel, he would have just been starting to get into the sweet spot of his vocation, of his career, of meaning in his life. You know, but he isn't. He's sitting outside the city of Babylon, and I think he's probably crestfallen. You know, probably looking down, you know. And yet... Something happens where the heavens begin to open up and the presence of God is revealed to him in these massive creatures that he realizes that, wait a minute, these are, these are the four creatures that basically comprise the throne of God. I mean, these are the, the living angelic, archangelic beings that um, the, the, the seraphim and the cherubim, you know, of, of the holy of holies. And he's seeing that, that there's, he's now somehow in the presence of God. But how could that be? Because he's actually in exile in Babylon. It doesn't make sense. And then the rest of his, the unpacking of so much of the rest of his prophecy is why. And what can you do in the midst of that? Israel had really turned her back on the Lord and started to occupy themselves with the fears that they couldn't handle. And so they would turn to safety by compromising with other nations and other idols. So they started to bend into ways of taking care of their fear. And they basically betrayed their covenant. They weren't faithful to their covenant. It played itself out, and in the passage that we, it doesn't, it, it kind of excerpts a little small part of it, but it, it describes all the different ways in which they'd really walked away from the covenant with God. He'd shown them how to live, but they weren't doing it, and lots of ways they weren't doing it. Um, 
all the different adulteries and idolatries, indulgence, the different, basically going through the Ten Commandments, the different kinds of brokenness. And it's in the midst of this that our passage comes up, and we're beginning to see a bit of a turn for hope, okay? It's one of the things that um, keeps us stuck is that we think we're just condemned to have to live what it is we're living, and we have no way out. So this expression um, where, as I, um, I love the way that it's put, it's, um, it's an old uh, proverb in Israel, and the Lord is saying to Ezekiel, no longer is this gonna be said. You know, I don't want you repeating this proverb. The fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. Is that, are you tracking with what? It's like, so when you, when you take a bite out of a lemon, you know, you, you that, like it kind of hurts the salivary glands and then, you, you know, your jaw tightens up right here and your teeth are set on edge, you know, and so when you eat sour grapes, that's what happens, right? Well, the Israelites had this expression where, look, we're, we're just, our whole situation is just, it's a hopeless thing because we're living just the, the legacy of our fathers and mothers who screwed up. We're just, we got to deal, that, that's just how bad it is. And, and we also know that, you know, in the law of Moses, it's going to be the father sins, it's going to be visited on the third and the fourth generation after that. And we're just, man, no hope. And um, does that sound familiar to you? Like in your own mental dialogue internally? Anything like that sound familiar? Uh, let me share with you how, how it happens for me, is that um, my dad is a 100% Viking, 100% Norwegian, right? And there's my son back there, fist pumping. <laughs> So it's a wonderful legacy. But there's this one side that we always joke about, but um, you know, there's this melancholy side to the, uh, the Norwegian um, genetic inheritance, you know? And I, you know, sometimes I just feel like, especially this time of year, this is a hard time of year for me. I don't know what it is about the fall. It's probably pretty deep, right? So I'm still in a healing journey myself. But um, that part of it is like, oh, I'm just going to have to deal with it. I'm just going to be a melancholy, occasionally depressed person the rest of my life. How is that fair? My father's been eating sour grapes and I have to have my teeth set on edge, you know? (laughs) My dad's like, yeah, he feels the same way. (laughs) And we could say the same thing about our mothers. You know, we feel this. We feel that, like, Man, why did I get this? I mean, I remember we're talking with one young lady who had been recently diagnosed with bipolar disorder, and she said, this is, like, how is this fair? You know, and I, the, the, is this who I am? You know, what does this mean? What am I supposed to do about this? And, um, you know, and, I, and she said, well, it, you know, should I just trust in the Lord, too? Maybe I should just, like, go... Um, you know, completely in, in faith and pretend that I don't have this problem that I've inherited genetically. And I said, you know, I don't, I don't have all the answers, but I do know this, that God's grace can break in right now. That God's grace can break in right now. 
And uh, in her case, one of the things that I said to her is, look, it is true that we, we sometimes inherit things, and it's not even necessarily because of some sort of culpability. We don't even fully understand it. And I, I compared it for her to um, when you're an insulin-dependent dia- insulin diabetic. You know, we, would, we, would, we do believe that God heals. Absolutely God heals. But a lot of times what God allows for us to live is a certain kind of neediness that we can feel is a curse or we can discover is containing a really beautiful lesson of grace, right? A beautiful lesson of grace. And so for her, I said, you know, as much as an insulin-dependent diabetic should not pretend that they don't have diabetes and just hope for the best, sometimes people who've been diagnosed with bipolar, and yes, people can be healed, and sometimes God really does it, but your salts, I think this is how it goes with bipolar, it's actually, it's a salt problem. You know, so some people have a sugar problem, some people have a salt problem, you know. And, uh, but this is about you learning that actually you, you need to depend. This is actually about you learning that you can't just look down and become so completely woe is me, but actually use this as an opportunity to say, I'm really a, vo- a very vulnerable person. I'm actually a vulnerable person. And let that word become not a curse anymore, but a beginning of grace in your life. And I saw that what that, at least in this particular case, because that's, that's still difficult to accept. When you find out you have a condition you'll be living with your whole life, right? That sometimes is hard. But um, in this particular case, for her, it became that, that, that secret way of being that Paul talks about, like in her weakness, she began to find her strength. In fact, it was a divine strength, and she cooperated with it. In other words, you really do need me. Will you go ahead and let yourself need me? I think that's kind of what the Father says to us sometimes in our weakness, and that's what, in her case, converted what could be a curse into a beginning of a blessing. In her particular case, too, over time, it was discovered that she didn't actually have bipolar per se, and a lot of healing began to happen. And sometimes that really does happen, too. And so there was a very profound healing that happened. But I want to I say to all of us who are dealing with something that we feel is just a condemnation that we've just got to despairingly resign ourselves to, that... Lift up your hearts. Because no longer does it need to be said that your parents ate sour grapes and your teeth are set in edge. Instead, there's this cleansing, wonderful, gracious, refreshing water of new life that he can have for you. And he does want to minister it to you. And so there's this gift of, of humility that leads to a kind of a healing. I do want to say, too, that sometimes the... Um, the teeth being set on edge comes not so much from genetics. Sometimes I think it's, well, I, I grew up in a, a really horrible life situation. Suppose, you, you know, perhaps you were a, an orphan growing up. You lost one of your parents. And um, I have such a horrible, you know, background in my family situation. I'm never going to be able to overcome it. The Lord would say, I have a way of right now meeting you in the need. 
let yourself need and lift up your face to me. Let yourself need. Because no longer do I want that to be your sour grapes as well. Um, I think that the other response, by the way, to this is, like, especially if it's nurture, and if you can convince yourself that the way that you were nurtured growing up was a problem, and that your, your parents were maybe um, not so much parents as just really hurtful people, that you can become very much the tight, gripped, controlling person who takes charge and become very achievement-oriented. I think this is the flip side of it. Like on the one hand, I was talking about despair, but the other side would be, all right, I am not going to be this way, and I'm going to, with great resolution and activism, make sure that I'm not this way, and I'm going to figure it out, and I'm going to do it, and I'm going to perform. And it's an exhausting way of living out what you feel is a curse. I think sometimes we fall into despair. Sometimes we fall into a kind of activism. And what the Lord is offering to us is a way of relationship. Like, I'm, I'm with you right now. I'm not here to give you the key to a successful life through achievement orientation. I'm not here to just give you a how-to, right? I'm here to save you. I'm here to collaborate with you. I'm here to relate to you. I'm here to relate to you. I'm here to take you into a conversation. I'm constantly speaking. I'm here to speak to you right now. And I and actually want you to be in my presence, right? If you, were, if you grew up in a really difficult home atmosphere, and that's how you felt you were nurtured. Well, I have an atmosphere for you right now, and it's a different atmosphere, and it's a really sweet one. It's not sour. Maybe it's lemony fresh, right? <laughs> it's a really fresh atmosphere that I want to nurture you in right now. I don't want you to get stuck in despair, and I don't want you to get stuck in this mad rush to try and turn everything around all on your own. The way that... Um, Ezekiel, in the end of the passage that we've been given this morning, um, the way that it's put is that um, the Lord wants us to turn from our sins, lest iniquity be our ruin. Iniquity, by the way, that's an interesting word, and I've, um, we've been learning something about this in the Old Testament understanding. Iniquity was one of the expressions for sin that is a, like a disposition that comes from an inheritance, right? And if we don't turn from our transgressions, our transgressions, in other words, our sinful reaction to what's been going on, that's a transgression. In this case, I want to say, just interpreting the passage a little bit, transgression is to go, go against God's way, like any of the Ten Commandments, but you violate a real living way of life a lot of times because we're in reaction to what we've been upset about from our parents genetically or in terms of how we've been treated. And he says, look, I, the only thing that you need to do is to cast away from you all your transgressions so that the inherited problems that you have, the iniquity, doesn't become, in fact, your ruination. I want you to Make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. In fact, later on, God even says, I'm going to give you a new heart and a new spirit. 
So basically what it ends up being is I want you to cooperate with me and I want you to respond. I'm here talking to you right now. Let's have a conversation. I'm here bringing my presence to you so that you can live in a new atmosphere. I want you to come present to me. Because I actually don't have any pleasure in the death of anyone. So just turn and live. Because I'm here right now. There's all these other ways that he puts it that I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. He says that later in chapter 36. So I think it's a wonder, one of the difficult things when we feel like I'm just stuck with this inheritance and I've either got to fight my way out of it or I'm just despairingly re- resigning to it is that I actually don't have any power and it's a good place to be. I don't have the power and Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you a new heart to respond to me and a new spirit to actually be able to will the good because you can't do it, but I'm going to do it. And I want to bless you with this way of life. I actually want to open your graves. Sometimes we feel like, it's like we're dead stuck. I'm going to open your graves and raise you from your graves, he says in, the, in, the chap- in chapter 37, and I will put my spirit within you and you shall live. My dwelling place shall be with you and I will be your God and you will be my people. It's all about his presence. There in Babylon, where how is it possible that the presence of God, the holy presence of the Holy One of Israel could be present? Well, this is how he begins to be present to you, is by responding in that moment in a very relational way. I think a lot of, we do want to break out of what we're stuck in, right? But we can't achieve our way out and we don't, we should not despair. Those are the rock and the hard places of life, right? And Jesus actually comes in and graciously says, I'm going to lift you up, so look up. I'm lifting you. And he says, yeah, it's too much for you to handle, but I'm going to be with you and you'll collaborate with me and together you will live a new life because I'm giving you a new heart and a new spirit. One of the ways that... Um, Paul puts it is um, he says we're actually his God's poetry where his workmanship is how it's translated sometimes you know to carry out his works prepared beforehand but I like using the the um, implications from the Greek word that were actually his poetry and actually it's a poem that he's speaking right now it's not it's not a it's not a, like I said, it's not the secret to success. It's not like the methodology to life. Like just learn a few principles and if you just get it right, you can achieve good life. No, it's actually he's speaking you right now. He's speaking you. Through his spirit, he's speaking a word to you right now and all you need to do is walk into that word that he's prepared beforehand and it's a poetic, beautiful word. It's a living word right now. It's a relational word. And it means, listen to me. It means, be present to me. Let me be present to you. It means, let me converse you into life. Let me commune you into life. It's relational. And that's how the children's teeth are not set on edge. That's how we have the new heart and the new spirit. That new center of life that unfolds all kinds of possibilities. Even when we feel like we're in an exile from where we expected to be right now. 
I think about that picture of that young man. You see the progression in his face in, his face in these mug shots, and it's, it's, it's sad. And yet there's this spark of hope at the end of the article where he's realizing, you know what? I think there's a new way I can live. And there's a new picture of how this man is going to be looking if he really lets grace lift him and if he really lets his spirit say yes. Lord Jesus, I just think about um, our lives and the way that they unfold and a lot of times we get at junctures in life and we are disappointed in where we're at. We feel like we're in a foreign land, we're not doing what we're called to do and it's upsetting and then you come. Lord, I know that you're here right now and I know that at this very moment that we have a choice to say yes to you or to continue in despair or in some kind of false achievement. Lord, I pray that by your grace that we would be just like the prostitutes and the tax collectors, that we would let you speak to us right now that we would even dine with you in our lives right now. That we'd be in your presence right now. We'd lift up our face to look to you right now. That we'd open up our ears to listen to you right now. That we would receive your presence and the incredible grace and compassion and power that you bring for us to have a new heart that is not stuck and a new spirit that is able to say yes and do and live in your presence. Lord, may we be your poetry continuously spoken with great beauty in this world. May we be your reflections continuously reflecting your glory and your love and your compassion in this world. For you are alive, Lord, and you long to make us to be alive in you. We say yes, and we pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.